We are in the second chapter, and um, this morning we'll be in verses 18 through 25. So that's a it's a large a large section. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it, and then um, Pastor John's gonna come up and, and teach. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. These are the words of God. Thank you for that reading. Uh, before we get into the message, just a little housekeeping. And we want to uh, we want to note uh, in the back there, uh, dovetailing on last week's message, and which I'll we'll, uh, get to here in a moment, just to recap the professing and obedience, profession of faith, and the different. Uh, you cannot just profess your faith. You must be obedient to what the, the Lord says to do. And on the back in the rack of books is a, uh, is a book back there that says Examine Yourself. I encourage you, if you're interested, to uh, take a look at it. It's a very good book. I read it, uh, I read it myself, and it's uh, solid uh, with regard to that. So I encourage you to take a look at that when you get the opportunity to do so. It is on the back rack there with the other books that are there. And feel free to take any of those that you so desire. Last week uh, in 1 John chapter 2, where we spoke at, that was one of the main takeaways is uh, profession without obedience is nothing. It means nothing. It does nothing. It, uh, uh, it leads one uh, in, in wrong directions, in a wrong way, uh, wrong way and wrong thinking. Uh, we're going to continue on that theme today as John builds upon this idea too. Uh, and I was struck this week uh, hearing, I listened to Alistair Begg speak this week and he said after he had the, uh, soon after he had the, uh, he had to do a funeral at the, at the church that he's been at now for 30 some years, but this was in the first few years it was there and it was the death of a young person, uh, a, a teenager, a teenage girl. Uh, and when he met with the family, they said, uh, once saved, always saved, right? And of course, that is the profession, once saved, always saved. Jesus will not lose one that the Father has given him. 
and the father uh, brought out a little card that the uh, that this girl had signed when she was young that said that she believed. There was no other signs in her life that she did believe. She had moved away. She had she had lived with her boyfriend. Uh, she had not been attending church. She had not been reading her Bible, and so it leads into that question. You can profess a lot of things on a piece of paper. You can walk down the aisle and do and say many things, but if the life you're living does not demonstrate what you actually believe, then I have serious questions to ask. I would encourage you, if you have any questions about that, to take a look at that book, examine yourself in the back. So it is a solemn message to some degree that John gives us here. Uh, but it should be a joyful message also. Uh, this uh, issue is as he jumps right into it in verse 18. Uh, you know, if we came off the last week, right? Remember, he said, don't love the world, right? Don't fall into the trap of the world. Don't, don't put your hope in the world. Don't, uh, don't put your life into the world because the world doesn't give you life. The, the world takes it away. That world, which is that evil system uh, that is controlled by the devil himself, right? Those things that are all anti-God. And as John read uh, there in verse 18, we jump right into the Antichrist, the against Christ person. Uh, it's a big theme uh, in John's gospel here. He is the only one uh, who uses the term Antichrist. Uh, there is pretty good evidence that he was the one who coined the term itself. We could read into Antichrist and say it's against Christ, against Jesus. But it's a big problem. He's not talking about the Antichrist as the one that he will reference in Revelation as the one. But what he's talking about are those that deny the deity of Jesus. Those that deny uh, the godness of Jesus. They deny the God-man. They affirm the manness of Jesus, but they deny the deity of Christ. He had said in the previous passages that the world is passing away in all of its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. He dives in in verse 18. He says, children, not little children, just children is what he says. A different, uh, a different word that he's using there uh, to indicate uh, what he's talking about. These children, these ones that he has uh, to some degree has taught, to some degree they have come to faith through his teachings of the gospel, through his knowledge of Jesus, but these children, these ones that he cares about, in this congregation that he cares about, uh, these uh, ones that he has a close relationship with. And he says, it is the last hour. He'll use that phrase, he'll use that term twice in this verse. So there is importance in that last hour. What does John mean by the last hour? Is it, is, is it the absolute, does he mean of 60 minutes in an hour that this is that last hour and it's ticking away? Well, to some degree, he does mean that. What he means is, is that we are, we have, they have, uh, there's a crux of time or a period of time that has passed that will never be met again. And that time is the, the, time, the, the time when Jesus ascended into heaven. The time when he was crucified, dead, buried, and then rose again. That is never to be repeated again. It is a specific point in time. This is a historical belief that we have that is anchored solidly on that day when Jesus was crucified and on that day when he rose from the grave. 
It is never to be repeated, never to be gone back to, never to be seen again, these events as they were then. So John is rightly saying, now you understand that before when you, in, in the, the Jews, when they looked for the Messiah, they were always looking for the Messiah. We would see Peter would talk about how, they, how, the, how the prophets and the patriarchs were looking into the future, desiring to know who this one was, what his name was, when he was come. Well, that time has come. There is no more looking into the future and wondering what's going to happen. It happened. He came and he walked on this earth and he died on the cross and he rose again for the sins of many, for the sins of those he would save. Right? So it has happened. So that by itself, because that event has occurred, it will never occur again. That means we are beyond that event now, which means that we are in a period of time between the cross and the crown that is given to those who are found in Him. The cross has happened. The sins have been paid for. Christ has ascended to the throne. He is interceding for us right now. He's saying, this is the last hour. Be prepared. Make sure of your calling. As, uh, as, as Paul himself would say, you know, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Your sanctification just doesn't happen when you sit there. You actually actively work at it. Uh, I was going to get to this later, but it feels like it's right about this time now. Uh, you know, sometimes as the as the sermons go on, we forget the things, and it, you, you might forget things that uh, I might forget something to say. But it's important here that assurance of your salvation. If you're not feeling assured in your salvation, right? If you know that you were saved, you know that the Spirit worked in you, and you know that you were saved, but at the moment you're not assured of your salvation, it's probably due to the fact that there's a sin issue you're not dealing with. It's robbing you of the joy of the salvation that you have. It doesn't mean you're not saved, but what it does mean is that this sin issue is, is, is robbing you of that joy, and the way to get by that is to get in your Scripture. Right? Because it is the last hour. The next thing, the next coming of Christ, is one where there is no believing. That the moment that Christ comes on the clouds of glory, to wrap this thing up, there is not a chance to repent and believe then. When Christ is seen again, the time is up. There is no turning back. There is not, no saying, I made a mistake. When He is seen again, your chances are gone. John is saying it's the last hour. Repeated twice, the warning. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, Antichrists have appeared. Interesting that there is no article there. It isn't the Antichrist, right? So this is how we this is how we we focus in on what he's talking about. These are those that are against Christ, right? And he says, many have appeared. Those who deny the 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 deity of Jesus, many have come. Uh, there are countless that are out there now that Jesus has come and arisen and ascended into heaven, that there are many that are denying these things that we were witnesses to. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, he would say there was more than 500 witnesses to, to the risen Christ. Not a spirit that was arisen, but an actual man that arose. That they could see the scars of the new covenant on his hand that they ate with, that they touched, that they talked to, that they heard. That he has actually arisen. 
Uh, turn to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. In verse three, and it says, "Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts." It fits in with regard to our previous passage of those uh, things of the world, right? And now these antichrists, these against Jesus people, these ones who deny the deity of Jesus, are there and they're, and they're causing problems. There's many from there. And that's how John would say, we know it's the last hour because of this. We know it's the last hour because they're here. And in logical fashion... There would be no anti-against-Jesus people had Jesus not been there. And to a degree, they wouldn't be there had Jesus not arisen again. You see, the faith will divide. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 2 and let's look at verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just that there will also be false teachers among you. I mean, it's a constant thing. There's always the false teachers. Paul warns them about it in Acts, that there will be wolves that will be seeking to tear apart the flock. And you know where they're going to come from? From within. That there are these, also these false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So John's giving this warning of these false, these antichrists, these ones that are anti-Jesus, these ones that are anti-God. And these are all signs that the last hour is here, that we are well in the between the cross time and the crown time. We are well in the period of time, and we're even further along than they were, of between that time when Jesus ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that Jesus will come again to judge the earth. He came this time to pay for the sins. Now He's going to judge when He comes again. These antichrists are false teachers. We can say that they are fishermen of the devil. Whereas Jesus would call the fishermen to be fishermen of men to cast that net broadly out there to cast that net and, and pull in those who are on sinful pathways, to preach the gospel, that broad net of the gospel, that there is nothing you can do uh, uh, to pay for your sin, and the broad net of the gospel goes down like a fisherman in a boat, to seek those up, to pull those up into salvation, right? Where these antichrists, these against Jesus people, are the other type of fishermen. They're the ones with the lure on the end of the line, right? That looks like it's good. It looks like it's tasty. It looks like something they want. Yet when they 
grab it, it's a lie. It's fake. It's not the real thing. These antichrists seeking to pull believers away, to pull the people away that are immature in their faith. And John's warning them about this. He's going to tell them they shouldn't be surprised that this is going to happen, but we'll get to that soon. You say we'll use modern day parlance, right? Uh, that those that are against Christ will find themselves on the wrong side of history. They will find themselves on the destructive side of history. The purveyors in the world today that would say that you need to find yourself on the right side of history by professing all sorts of heresies and all sorts of abominations, well, those are the things of the world. Those are the things that the world desires. Those are the things that the world demands you be obedient of. God, on the other hand, says to be on the true right side of history, to be on the true right side of that historical fact of Jesus going to the cross and rising again and ascending into heaven is to be obedient to Him and to know His deity and to know what He's done. That is the Jesus, the pro-Jesus position, not the anti-Christ position. So, you know, it is one of those things that is worthy to consider where you're at on that. When it comes to Jesus, you see, there are many Jesuses of that time. It was a popular name. Jesus in Greek is it's the Greek name for Joshua from the Hebrew. Popular name. So there's all sorts of Jesuses that were out there. there was a, it was a name that would have been used. It wasn't, you know, we, we talked about just coming in this morning, we were listening to... Uh, R.C. Sproul, my son and I, as we drove in, and he was speaking about, he's talking about Bar-Jesus, right? Bar-Jesus is mentioned in the Bible. The son of Jesus, not our Jesus, but a son of Jesus. A person named Jesus. So it's important that these that you believe in the right Jesus. You can't just believe in any Jesus. You can't believe in the man Jesus alone. You can't believe in the good teacher Jesus. None of those Jesuses say. You can't believe in the nice guy Jesus. You can't even believe in the Jesus who healed people alone. You need to know Jesus as fully God and fully man. You need to know Jesus as Lord. And that's what John's going to be working at here. And as those that know Jesus as Lord are part of the true body of believers, and then we would, we would ask ourselves the question, am I in the body of believers? Am, do I affirm that Jesus? Do I affirm the Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do I affirm the Jesus that Peter on the day of Pentecost in his sermon said, this Jesus, the one that you crucified, and what happened to the people that were listening? Their hearts were cut. What must we do? Repent and believe. Is this the Jesus you affirm to? The Jesus that was on the cross and His blood paid for our sins and rose to the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us now. That is the profession the profession, profession that we need. The obedience, the one we are obedient to. To that Jesus. Not this anti-Christ that they are professing 
at this point in time. So we move to verse 19. This sentence, and I admit that sometimes when we look at this sentence, it can appear a little convoluted, but it is an absolutely logically sound sentence. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all they all are not of us. This sentence in itself, the logic nature of this sentence, when he starts out, they went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, to leave the body of believers to become this anti-deity, uh, anti-deity of Jesus people, these antichrists against Christ, to leave from the body of believers. Right When they were there sitting amongst us in the pews, on the floor, wherever it was at, in the homes, and to leave is to show that they were never really part of us. They were never really one of us. They were never part of the unified body of believers. They were never the ones that uh, affirmed that Jesus was Lord and Savior. They were never part of us. And John is saying, listen, don't be worried. Be hopeful because this is a sign that they have left from us. In fact, it is good that they left so that they're not destroying the flock that is there. If they would have remained, we'd have known they were a part of us. But they're denying who Jesus is. They're denying the Jesus who is both prophet, priest, and king. They are denying the Jesus that is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, in flesh, in body. Not spirit. They're denying that Jesus. And they have left from the body of believers. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. In other words, we wouldn't be having this discussion. And you can tell by the way this is written that there are questions that they have. John is addressing, hey, these people look like us. At one point in time, they said the same things that we did. They affirmed the things that we did. They might have been baptized. They might have walked down the aisle and made the profession. But now they're no longer here. They're out. John's asking another question. You see the fact that they left the body of believers. The fact that they left shows that they were never part of us. Now, you would say to yourselves that This isn't merely leaving because they don't like the music style, which is a wrong reason to leave. Because that's very uh, eye-focused. That's very, it's all about me. Uh, This is leaving because they don't believe in the right Jesus. They don't believe in the God-man Jesus. And the fact that they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us, we see that God's sovereignty is in play here. Turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 7 through 9. Paul is dealing with a particular heresy that is... uh, that is coming about in Galatia. 
people not only being drawn back into Judaism, but also being drawn back into Sabellianism and some other things that are going on there, all sorts of works-based salvation. But he speaks rightly when he says, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This, prefer, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. And then the key passage here for this in regard to what we're talking about, it's good that they left, remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. It doesn't take much yeast to affect the dough. It's good that they left because they weren't part of us. It's good that they're gone because they weren't part of the body. Now, not in the notes and not in the scripture notes, so if you want to take a pen, pencil out or a pen out and write this down, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Anybody that was in the Sunday school class today, uh, I know that Jim covered some of this ground uh, that we are here, so you get an extra dose of it. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So if you saw the title in the beginning, Deniers and Liars or Liars and Deniers, these people that lie about Jesus deny who Jesus is, right? They're not part of the body. Paul is clearly saying here that if you are part of the body, you're, you're, you are is one, yet has many members, right? By one spirit it is confirmed, which John's going to talk about in a little bit. And then in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. If a foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if an ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Members of the body like yourselves. Those that left from us were never really of us. But John would say. And you can tell because they're no longer here. It's a logically sound argument. If they were part of us, they would still be here. These antichrists, these ones that are against Jesus. 18 again says, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacks. Remember, God has composed the body of believers, so therefore those that have left were never part of the body of believers. By God's design, so that it would be shown that they are not part of the body of believers, by God's design that we get from that 
First John passage we're dealing with. Verse 25 says, There may be no division in the body, right? Because if those that were not of us remain with us, they will divide the body. There was that discussion about church discipline this morning in Sunday school class. Right? That if somebody is an abject sin, we must confront it, right? We want to restore them to the body of believers. But if they will not be restored and they leave, then they were never meant to be part of us. They were never meant to be here. Right? So that there's no division as we are unified here in the body of believers. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. The question then becomes, are you part of the body of believers? Are you one that is part of the body? We need to know that question. We don't want you to be a liar or a denier about who Jesus is. We want you to be part of the body of believers, but we must examine oneself to see where we're at. We must even come back to last week's message of profession without obedience is nothing. And if you're not a believer, then to some degree, this isn't the place for you. Just saying you believe in Jesus, well, which one? What Jesus do you believe in? Do you believe in a Jesus that is testified in the Scripture, the witness of Scripture? Or do you believe in a Jesus of your own making? Do you you believe in a Jesus that I'm comfortable with? That you're comfortable with? A Jesus that doesn't demand my life from me? A Jesus that's just a good person? A Jesus that just taught some neat things? Or do you believe in a Jesus that is your Lord and Savior? Uh, Do you believe in the Jesus that actually uh, owns your life? Not because you allow Him to, but because it's the way it is. Which Jesus do you believe in? Because the good teacher, Jesus, the man Jesus, that Jesus doesn't save. It's the God-man Jesus who saves. And Jesus as God, as that one, is the one who owns us. Right? That's Romans 10.9. You must confess Jesus as Lord and Savior with your mouth and believe it in your heart that He is the one. If you take nothing else from that today, then nothing else today, examine yourselves and go to Romans 10.9. Do you do these things? Verse 20 of 1 John chapter 2. So we have the Antichrists are coming and there's a whole bunch that are already here. These anti-Jesus, they're against the deity of Jesus. They're teaching wrong Jesus. It's a good thing, John says, that they left. So they'd be shown they are not all of us. Just because they're here, they're not all of us, right? They're not, we're not one. They're, they're damaging the unity of the body of believers, right? It's good that they left. It's all part of God's plan. All part of His sovereignty. We look around sometimes at the church and we say, hey, I wonder what happened to him or her. Oh, didn't you hear they moved away? They're not even part of the church anymore. Any church, anywhere. All part of God's plan. That's what happened there. And then John goes to, he's saying, okay, so this is what it is. 
you could be a little depressed because there's all these anti-Jesus people around that are pushing in on you, that have left are now trying to draw others of you away. Right? You could be a little depressed about that, but don't be depressed. He's saying it's good that they left. So we have unity in the believers. And then in verse 20 it says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know it. It could be disturbing that maybe some of your friends left. Friends that you thought were believers. Family members you thought were believers. But don't worry. It's okay. It's good that they left because they were uh, creating disunity amongst us. They weren't one of the members. They were like a detached hand over off to the side. They weren't part of the body working in conjunction. They were working against. And you know it because you have the confirmation, the assurance of the Holy Spirit within you. Remember when I started out in the beginning. If you're lacking that assurance and you know that you believe, it's probably because you're not dealing with the sin issue in your life. Or you're dealing with unforgiveness in your life. Or the fact that you've neglected your Bible reading in your life. Or your prayer life is, is falling. And I encourage you to bring those back up because my mind will tell me that I'm not saved even though I am. If I'm not in the Scripture. God is so joyously not left it in my feelings to tell me that I'm saved. He tells me not only that I'm saved, but how it is that I'm saved, and where I can look for assurance that I'm saved, and it's right here in the book that's been provided to us. So he says, you all know it. You have the anointing of the Holy One. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He is talking about the, that consecration that, that occurred with the priests that we see the whole the shadow way back in Exodus chapter 29. 29.7, if we want to turn there. I think we have enough time to do this. Exodus 29.7. You know, just a short verse, and we don't want to take it too much out of context, but it is regard with the, with the priests themselves. When it would say this is, uh, you know, this consecration, they would have their consecrate, the, the idea of the priest would be consecrated to a holy duty. To differentness from those around them. 29.7 it says, Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on the head and anoint him. This, this physical act that they show back there, a shadow of things to come, right? God desired that all of Israel be a nation of uh, kingdom priests, a holy nation. right? So what happens is, now what John is speaking about, so we look back there and we see shadows of things that are to come, right? where the priest was anointed and said, you are being set apart for this. You are being set apart for the temple. This is the sign that we, the physical sign that we do. You're set apart for the temple. And now John using very similar words saying, you have been anointed by the Holy One, that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you, that your body is now the temple. The temple that the priests used to walk to, the temple is now you because the Holy Spirit, your anointing comes on the inside through the work of the Holy Spirit through the gift that God has given through His Son, right? you have that anointing. Go to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15, 15, 26, and 27. I don't know if we're going to get to it today. Uh, you know, uh, I also want to put this note, write this down, for the unity of the body of believers. Jim talked about it in class today. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. We may or may not get to that. I just want to make sure that you have that on your list of things to look at. But look at John 15, 26 to 27, 
John 15, 26 to 27, this is Jesus speaking. He says, When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about Me, and you will testify also, because you have been with Me from the beginning. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. When we are testing the spirits, right? Is that Holy Spirit testing about, testifying about Jesus? Yes, that is the Holy Spirit. Is it testifying about something else than not the Holy Spirit? Let's keep it that simple. Right? You have the anointing from the Holy One. You have the Holy Spirit within you that testifies to the true deity of Jesus. These antichrists, these against Jesus people, don't have that. For whatever reason, they were part of the body of believers in John's time, but they're now gone. Hebrews 4. Turn to Hebrews 4 in verses in verse 14. Hebrews 4, verse 14. So the Holy Spirit as John is saying, has anointed the believer. Uh, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in the heart of the believer, has pushed, out the, has pushed out from our affinity for things of the devil in our heart. The Holy Spirit has uh, taken up residence in there. Uh, the Holy Spirit is helping us work on our sanctification. The Holy Spirit is helping us to understand Scripture. The Holy Spirit is is working on that ongoing sanctification that we have in our lives. The Holy Spirit is testifying to who Jesus the Son is. The ones who had left did not have this testimony. The ones that had left deny the deity of Jesus. The ones that had left deny who Jesus was as Lord and Savior. And then we look at Hebrews chapter 4, Right, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says this. And the Holy Spirit testifies to this, this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That anointing that they have received through the Holy Spirit that John is reminding them of will testify to this Jesus, to this Jesus who is currently interceding for you as a believer right now, interceding for you as a, in our weakness, right? Because in our weakness, He is the one that is strong, right? We are humbled in our weakness. We are humbled in our sin to turn to Him. Those anti-Christ people don't have that. John reminding the believers here that you have this anointing from the Holy One, from the Holy Spirit. And you as believers in the congregation have that same anointing. Maybe you don't feel it, and as we talk, maybe that the assurance, you're not having the assurance that you, you used to have. 
Maybe the world, as John spoke of before, is pressing in and around you and, and trying to pull you away because guess what? That's what the world does to believers. The world of the devil does that to believers. I encourage you to get back in your Scripture, to, to continue faithfully attending church and listening to the Word of God wash over you. Right? To attend to these things, to meet with other believers outside of the congregation here. To pray. To pray with other believers at that time so that you can have that assurance of where you are and who you're abiding in, as we'll get to in verses 21, 22, and 23. These will be somewhat handled together as a group, as what he speaks about. So, Antichrist, bad, they're gone, they're out of the con- those, those that deny Jesus, that are against Jesus, they're out of the congregation, it's a good thing. Don't even shed a tear over them. We would assume the church discipline occurred at this point in time with those that were denying things, that they were taught, but they chose to leave. So they were not of us. You did your best. You, you tried to show them the way, but they have left and they're causing all sorts of problems. But, but hold fast. Hold fast because you already know. You have the anointing. You, the Holy Spirit lives within you. He says in verse 21, I've not written this. And he's just talking about this, 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 this letter itself, this epistle itself. I've not written this to you because you do not know the truth. An interesting way to say that. In other words, you do know the truth, right? But because you do know it, and because there is no lie, that no lies of the truth. He's drawing that line between what they're saying and what the truth is. Those things that they are saying is a lie. They are deniers and liars about the trueness of who Jesus is. I'm not writing this to you because you, you already know these things. I'm writing this to you to build you up as I should, as a mature believer, to assure you of that salvation that you might be struggling with, to remind you of the Holy Spirit that's within you, to remind you of the beauty that there is in the body of believers, of a whole bunch of weak sinners getting together and glorifying God and praising God and talking about God. It seems right. Acts 2.42. It's not, it's not on your screen. It's not part of the Scripture. Uh, and I just have to chuckle to myself because when I handed this list to my wife to put for the bulletin today, she said, wow, there isn't a lot of Scripture on your list. Well, so much for that. <laughs> More Scripture now. Uh, Acts 2.42, it says, they were continually, this is the believers. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's your means of assurance right there. If you're not in the fellowship, if you're not praying, if you're not studying the the the, the believers, uh, the the apostles' teaching, if you're not breaking bread together, then you can't question why you don't have assurance. It's because of this, because you're not unified. Are you part of the body? That's the question. Verse 22, he says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. This is the one who denied. This one also denies the Father and the Son. And go to 23 so I can handle those. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. 
This would be that fancy Greek, Greek phrase, homoousius, right? That the, because the Son, because Jesus is of the same substance of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is of the same substance too, right? Uh, we don't want to get too much in the weeds, but the Father is the only unbegotten and one. The Son is begotten of the Father, the same substance, and the Holy Spirit is spirated, right? As the Spirit of the Father and the Son it comes from those. All of the same substance. So if you deny one, you've denied them all. If you have died, denied one, you have found yourself in the Antichrist place. If you deny the, any, any one of those, then you have found yourself in the place of eternal damnation. Because you have denied the one you say. Go back there. At 21, he says, I'm not writing because you don't know the truth. You know this. You know these things that I'm saying right now. And here's a little gentle reminder. A gentle push. Just to, just to solidify it for us. Uh, or a repeat of the things they've heard before. Jesus repeated himself all the time. To people we use with all the time. One of our common natures is, because we're referred to as sheep, is sheep are fairly dense is what I understand. I've never been a shepherd, but I can read all about shepherds in the Bible. And I could go to extra sources and read about what shepherds are like. And every one of them say that sheep are fairly dense. They need to be repeatedly taught. Right? That's why John's saying, you know the truth, and here's your reminder. You know the truth, but because you know it, because there's no lie in the truth, who is the liar? Who is that one who denies? Uh, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. They deny Jesus is the Christ, therefore they deny the Father. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. You've met these people. Oh, I believe in God. Good luck with that. Really. If that's all you got, you don't have much. I believe there's a higher power. Awesome. Great. Then we need to talk. Because right now you're in the liar and denier stage of your life. You're not part of a body of believers. You're, you're, you're not confessing the Son, the only one that can save, right? Again, they're making a God of their own choice. The God I'm comfortable with. Well, I'm a good person. Awesome. Great. Good for you. Report back to me when Jesus comes as a, 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 in judgment and see how that worked out. Because you've got a real problem in front of you. Our job is to tell them what that problem is. Gently as we can, you know. Hard if we have to. Yeah, you know, and that, you know, that's the thing. I mean, John's, remember, John is old man now. I mean, he's really, he's in his 80s, if not his 90s right now. He has lived, a, he has been gifted, unlike the other apostles, with long life. He has been gifted with uh, the, the ability to reflect for an entirety of life of preaching the gospel. He has been gifted in a manner which none of us probably will be. Certainly not with the degree of sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing it. He has seen with tears the people that have left the congregation in knowing that they're leaving to eternal damnation because of what they're professing. He has undoubtedly worked with teaching, with reproofing, with rebuking, 
with the desire and not teaching and rebuking and reproofing with the desire to be right, but with the desire to restore somebody to saving faith. We can almost imagine that as this is being penned, that tears are hitting the parchment as he's writing this. Because he knows what it means for those anti-Christ people that are out there. But he certainly doesn't want to devote too much time to them when he has a congregation of people in front of him that need to be strengthened, that need to know the truth, that need to know that there is no gray area. There is no gray area of salvation. There is no, well, maybe salvation. There's either, it's either black or white. You're either in or you're out. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. As in verse 24, as for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. Sounds very much like the beginning of his gospel, right? Uh, I think it's the Greek akousē, right? From what you have heard. Akousē, arché, like what you have heard from the beginning. Right from the get-go. We haven't missed a beat on this. Just a little reminder, a little gentle push. A little, yeah, just hold that to you. Just, just remember, this is nothing new. As Jim said in class today, there hasn't been any new, there's no new theology. If you think you have some a new idea about God, you're probably well on your way to heresy. You know, right? There's nothing new. You've heard this from the beginning. I'm not giving you anything new. I'm just a, just a gentle reminder as a grandfather. Come here and sit on my lap and let me tell you the way it is. I love you so much. I just, I, you know, I'm not going to go to my deathbed without reminding you one more time. Yes, you may be offended because you already know this, but I'm, wor- I'm willing to take the offense because it's that important. He started out what was from the beginning in verse 1 1 of John of first John. He says, You let it abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, also will abide in the Son and the Father. You will find yourself there. You will find yourself, as Paul says in in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, abiding there never lost, fully saved, always saved, never losing your salvation, when you were there, you were already seen as being in heaven with Jesus right now. We are juxtapositioned right now. We are here physically, but already seen as there, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. That's uh, right around verse 6, I believe it is, 6 or 7 is where that's at. So it also abides to you, and then 25, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. Not partial life, not a little bit of life, not, a, not just a happy time here and then off into nothingness, but he promised us eternal life, an eternal, uh, we'll say eternal bliss without pain and suffering. Right? This is the promise. This is the reminder that John gives them. This is the reminder of of being in that body of believers that you know that to be true. Now understand that I'm not not confounding this with the false bodies of believers because there's a whole bunch of those around there, uh, around uh, out there. But the true body of believers who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
the true body of believers, about the Jesus who saves, the Jesus of the cross, the Jesus of the empty tomb, the Jesus is the right hand of the Father. That those who confess that are not the liars or deniers about who Jesus is, but they are the ones that find themselves unified in the body of believers. Look to Matthew chapter 22. Actually, go to John chapter 17 first. We'll do John chapter 17, 20 and 21. It's short. Bear with me. John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Because we're about the unity of the body of believers. That's why it's so great to come here on Sunday mornings uh, just, to, just to hear what's going on in your life. Uh, unfortunately, some of, the, some of the men that see me first thing in the morning, they, they will meet salty me. I can be very salty sometimes in the morning. But it, after a little bit, you know, it's, it's good. So after we've been talking about Scripture and stuff like that, then it kind of it wears off those, those sharp edges, you know, and stuff, which is good, you know, which is great. I need that in my life. Uh, I need that unity. And look at, look, at very, look at John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. All you in Sunday school, I know you heard this. It says, I do not ask. This is Jesus. This is Jesus' prayer to God, to, to his Father. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for all those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The unity of believers. The unity of the body. And I'm going to close in the parable of Jesus that he gives in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 starting in verse 1. And when I say close, what I mean, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. Then we'll get to the close. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. And this is how you know that Jesus spoke in parables, or that you're dealing with a parable, because He tells you He's speaking in a parable. So there's no, there, there is absolute clarity in the Scripture, uh, which is here. He said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened livestock. All are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to the slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. One that was not abiding in the correct idea. One that was, we could say, was not believing in the true Jesus. One that had come over the fence and not through the gate, which is Christ himself. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. He had nothing to say when 
faced with ultimate authority, with the one who would know who was meant to be there and who was meant not to be there. He had nothing to say, and so it will be at the end of the age that there will be those, their mouths will be stopped. They will not be able to speak when it comes down to judgment. They won't be able to say, but I, I, I. There will be none of that because they will be confronted at the end. These ones that John spoke about, these antichrists, are those people, are people like that. Verse 13, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into, into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. I pray, I pray that you are found in the body of true believers, that you are a true believer amongst the body. I pray that if you have questions that you talk to, uh, there's any one of a number of us, Pastor John and myself, would be more than glad to talk to you, and plus there's many other capable teachers that are in here. I would, I would encourage you that if you had questions, that you would pick up one of those books in the back that says, examine yourself. You don't want to be found in the place of these ones, these anti-Christs that are here. You don't want to find yourself in the place of those that have left the body of believers. You want to find yourself there. You don't want to be found in the place of the denier and the liar of who Jesus is. So I encourage you to speak with any one of us at that time. Let's pray. Father God, we just so love the fact that it's the idea that we are one in You. That we are one in Christ, God. That we are the ones that, uh, that, that we are all different in personality, in, in background, in where we're, where we're, where, in the things that we're doing in this world, but we are unified in You, God, that, that we can speak with each other as Christ followers that you have brought a unity together in your church that is unlike anything else in the world, where we are not divided by socioeconomic standards or, or where we were born or where we were raised, but we are unified in your Son. That we are unified by the precious blood of Christ. That we are unified through the Christ that is on the throne interceding for us now. That we are unified in the Holy Spirit that testifies about Your Son, that guides us in the Scripture, that guides us in our prayers, the, the Holy Spirit that takes the good works that You have given to us since before the foundation of the earth to do, and that makes them perfect before You. Please continue to be with us throughout this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, stand and join us as we close up the service and worship through song.